Yeah, Father, we thank you for Mike. Thank you for him bringing your word to us today, Father. And we cry out to you, Lord. We pray, dear God, that you would anoint him, that you would help him to uh, share what you have given to him, Lord, that, that every word that he brings would be straight from your mouth, as it were. Yes, Father. please. Lord, come and speak to us through Mike. Come and speak into our hearts. Every one of us, Lord, speak into our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Nah, no PowerPoint. <coughs> Just check it up, yeah. Yep. Those of you who are not normally with us, during this, these summer uh, weeks, we've been doing a series on suffering. And it was actually quite interesting to me when I realized what the other communities were doing and realized that Rochester was doing songs of the suffering servant from Isaiah. And I'm thinking, this could be interesting to see how those two message streams run. I haven't yet had a chance to listen to any of your messages. Brace yourselves, I will. And you haven't had a chance to listen to ours either because having been on holiday, Midway Valley podcasts are behind. Never mind, we'll catch up. But as we've been looking at suffering, it's been so humbling but also exciting to realize what we've been through to see that suffering is normal that is part of the world we live in to see that Jesus came and suffered for us to see that there are times when we will get to suffer on his behalf too and then last week Catherine taking us through some of the useful tools that there are to help us as we come through suffering to help us get back on our feet so that we can be ready for the next lap. So today we come on to the next phase of that. What do we do about other folks who are suffering? What do we do for the folks around who need help, who need love, who need support? Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, and I'm going to be reading from verse 31. It's amazing how humility is so hard. Last time I was speaking, one of our shorter members of the congregation mentioned the fact that I was, the particular Bible I was using had got a really tatty cover. Today I'm reading from the NASB because I'm too ashamed to bring out my ESV until I've got the cover fixed. So... Those of you who are following NASB, I'm with you. If not, it's a good version. Trust me, it says what God wants us to hear today. So, Matthew 25 from verse 31 onwards. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And all the nations will gather before him and he will separate them one from another as the shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come to me, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer them and say, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did this to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. 
Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they themselves will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? And he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Gentle Jesus, meek and mild says some hard things. As we go through our tough times in life, it's not unusual and probably not not unnatural either for us to think, I'm hurting. I need a bit of comfort. And Jesus said, what about them? But Lord, the cost of living is rough. What about those who are hungry, not just those who can't afford Netflix? Oh, but Lord, the water is so hard in the Medway Valley, we just, it's just nasty. What about those who are thirsty and have no water? Oh, but Lord, these speed limits are ridiculous. Why am I being fined again? What about those who've been in prison for years? How are they feeling? What are we called to do? It is very easy for us as happy evangelical Christians to get stuck on the grace side of the gospel. And it's very true that there is nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. Our salvation comes purely through his gracious gift to us. And we forget the other side of it as well. Because we have received much, there is much that we can give. Not because, oh, if I don't feed the hungry people, I'm going to hell, which is pretty much what he's warning. But because I have received so much, I have so much to give. Because I have received eternal life, because I have received salvation, because I know that my future is secure, I know that I can trust in my heavenly Father and I know he cares for me. And therefore, the fact that somebody else is suffering, I'm free to assist him because I know that my God will more than assist me. He will rescue, support, and strengthen me. He is my Jehovah Jireh, whatever. Whatever you did for the least of these, you did it for me. Jesus is not saying, you need to look after these people otherwise, but he's saying, I want to look after these people, and by serving them, you're serving me, and thereby we work together on this. The story is told of a statue that was destroyed during the Second World War in, in a blitz, and when they were restoring the church, and they put the statue up, they couldn't find the hands or the feet. They thought, well, what do we do? Do we make new hands? Do we make new feet? What do we do? And they set the statue up again without hands and without feet. And folks came and said, but it's incomplete. And the minister of the church said, no, it's not. 
He has no hands but our hands. He chooses to serve the people of the world through us. He chooses to take his grace poured into us, his lavish abundance, to serve others. It's been quite humbling, I think, for Fu and I going back to Zimbabwe for the last few weeks into a very different environment. We drive through our roads here and we see potholes and we think this is really the council needs to get its act together. But when you're driving on a road where the, it is a pothole, the road, it's gone. Even the gravel underneath the road is just not there anymore. It's just, and the people are doing it. They're coping, they're driving. How do we, in comfy, cuddly England, cope with the suffering of the wider world who don't even realize they're suffering sometimes? How do we, with our, oh dear, what a nasty situation we're in with the cost of living, cope with folks who are dealing with triple-digit inflation? It's hard. How do you comfort those who don't know their suffering? Do we comfort those who, not, who don't know their suffering? How do we deal with these circumstances? I don't know the answers. I just know that Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these, you do it for me. And I suspect that the least of these are probably a lot closer to where I am than those in a very different environment. What I do for my neighbors who look so comfortable and worry-free, what do I do to help them, to love them, to encourage them, to support them? Whatever I do for the least of them, I do for him. We have the privilege in this area of the Medway Valley to have a particular prison whose name is synonymous worldwide with prisons. When I first heard that I was going to be living in Borstal, I was really unimpressed with the idea because I had no idea that Borstal was a real place at that point. But this is the fact. We are surrounded by people in bondage, not only in our local communities, but people in physical detention. Whether in Borstal or in Maidstone or any of the prisons around, these people need loving. And some of us are or will be called to minister to them. And it's a tough job. Going into prisons is hard but they need love. They need to know the God who loves them. It's been a weird summer, and I suspect it's going to be a weird winter as well. There will be people in our community who are cold. I was without clothes, and you clothed me. What do you have of your best things that somebody else needs? I'm not asking you to give away the thing that's so worn out and threadbare that it wouldn't actually keep a rat warm. For what you do for the least of these, you're doing for our Father in heaven. Suffering alleviation is not the job of United Nations and UNESCO. It's the job of the church. The only reason why aid agencies and Department of Social Services exist is because the church hasn't been doing its job. We've got a job to do.
and there are things to be done about it. The whole principle of being a Christian, of being a servant of the living God, says we are here to serve. As we say, Rochester's been looking through Isaiah at the, at the, the servant songs, and Isaiah 61 probably one of the best known, even if only because Jesus himself quoted it, where he speaks of that ideal servant of the king and how we as servants of the king can be expected to live. And he says that the servant speaks and says, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. To those who are in tough places, to those who are hurting, to those who are sore, to those who need love, to bring them good news. To, he sent me to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our, and the day of vengeance of our God, and to comfort those who mourn, and to grant to those who mourn, give them a garland, who mourn in Zion, give them a garland instead of ashes, and the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. What you do for the least of these, you do to me, that he will be glorified. And then they, once we have reached them, once we've gone to them, once we've given them the succor, the support, the love, the nutrition, the clothing, the freedom, the liberty, the good news that they need, they will rebuild the ancient ruins. It's not our job to say, how are we going to get this country right? It's our job to serve us serve our community, serve those in need so that they can go on to help rebuild the ancient ruins, to raise up the former devastations, and they will repair the ruined cities and the desolations of many generations. It's a progressive cascading situation that as our God loved us, we can love others that they can rebuild and go and go. And the love of God is shed abroad in our world. As long as we obey and do what he has called us to do. Cuddly evangelicals, you like to take the good news. Thank you for that. Thank you for preaching the word. Thank you for speaking to people. Thank you for doing your daily walk and just talking to people as you see them. Thank you for going to weird countries because you know that's your place. But that's not all of it. Paul, probably one of the most important guys in the whole of church history, when he was going out doing his thing across the whole known world, as happens when people get going with God, the church goes, yeah, what's happening here? So he pulls back to Jerusalem to chat to the church. And in Galatians 2, he tells us about that experience, talking to the church in Jerusalem. And he says, and when James and Cephas and John, who, been, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that the grace had been given to me, they gave me the right hand of friendship. They gave the right hand of friendship to Barnabas and me that we should go to the Gentiles and they be circumcised. Church said, "Go for it. Go preach to the Gentiles. Let's bring the Gentiles into this new Christian movement. Let's get things going." Only they asked us to remember the poor. But surely, James, surely, John, surely, surely, Peter, we're going with the gospel. Mm -mm. Remember the poor. Remember the poor. Remember the poor. It's not just a case of, have you heard about Jesus? But how are you doing? 
people need to know the love of God, which we have been given in abundance. Until they see the love, it's hard for them to receive the grace that comes with the love. We're not just giving love as a marketing tool. We're giving love because he so loved us that we may love others. Remember the poor. Remember the poor. That's hard. Lord, my pension is not nice. Lord, my savings are ugly. Lord, tax, remember the poor. Take your eyes off yourself, remember the poor. Yes, but Lord, you've asked me to steward what you've given me, yes, and remember the poor. You're my servant, I've given you things. That's what you're stewarding. You're, you're using what I've given you, remember the poor. The early church got that right. The goal was not just reach the world with the gospel. But remember the poor. They come together. But I can't. I cannot solve the world's problems. I cannot fix the various war-torn regions. I cannot cope with the number of people who are hungry today. I cannot provide the water that is needed for millions across the world. I cannot even do anything about crazy things like democracy. Those of us who've been in Zimbabwe the last couple of weeks, those of you who haven't heard, Edison Mbonangagwa has just been re-elected. They told us so. Whether that's what the actual vote numbers were is not relevant. I can't fix that. I cannot fix the extreme corruption that exists in all countries, including ours. I'm helpless. I've only got so little resource of my own. What can I do? Again, Paul. Paul, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, says, he's writing to the Corinthian church, and he says, I want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given to the churches of Macedonia. For, in a severe test of affliction, in other words, they were in a tough place themselves. They knew they hadn't got everything they needed. In a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Their abundance of affliction and extreme poverty have overflowed, overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Out of your pain, out of your suffering, and out of your generosity, which comes out of your gracious union with Christ, overflowing in generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, and in all earnestness, and in your love, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. The Macedonians, in their extreme suffering, overflowed in generosity. Oh, but Lord, I can't. Good place to start. Now overflow out of your extreme suffering. 
but Lord, I'm hurting. I've got a limp. My leg's falling off. Part of your extreme suffering, overflow in generosity. When you are hurting physically, you're in a good place to minister to those who are hurting physically. There are many great heroes of the faith who have been ill and have prayed for their own healing and remained ill while seeing hundreds of others healed. Don't stop. Just because you're not well, there is a job to do. And we need to remember to be out there doing it. There's never a time to say, I can't. Always a time to say, what, Lord? What can I do next? I have nothing but God, and he can help. Carrying on in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is genuine. See, it's love. It's not duty. There are some religions who say, unless you actually give alms to the poor, you will not actually achieve paradise. That ain't us. We love because we are loved. We don't love so as to earn love. We love because we are loved. And by that giving, we prove the earnestness of others, and we prove that our love is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for, us, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter, I give my judgment, that this benefits you, who a year ago started, etc., etc., it goes on. For if the readiness is there, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that, is a matter of, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need. And there may be fairness. Paul saying, you got stuff. You can help others. Out of your abundance, help them. Guess what? There might be a time when you need. You're not investing in the bank of, of, of charity so that you'll be paid back later. It doesn't work like that. But we're a body. Just as Julian graciously came to Gatwick to pick us up on Friday, maybe I'll get to pick somebody else up one day. That's the way it works. Thank you again for that. It's good to ride in luxury. Nice car. Nice car. I'm not saying you have to give it away. I'm just, I'm not that. Yeah, but gracious. Because you too will need it. You too will need it one day. The whole principle of Christian life is one of service, is one of sacrifice, is one of giving. In Mark chapter 12, we read that one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another and seeing that, they, that he answered them well, he, he asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. 
No, he didn't say, you must love yourself so you can love others. That's a very nice late 20th century pop psychology rubbish. Whatever the pop psychologist will tell you, you already do love yourself. You don't have to have more self-love. Trust me, you've got more than you need. Love your neighbors. Even at two o'clock on the Saturday of a bank holiday weekend because they figured they can make noise. Love your neighbors. Love your neighbors. Jesus himself says this is your second most important priority after loving God himself. This is the Christian way. Christianity is not, I'm saved, I'm comfortable, I'll sit tight till I go to heaven. But I'm saved, I'm redeemed, I love my neighbors, I will serve them. What do we do for those who are in suffering? We go to them, we care for them. That's the Christian way. That's the way we do things as, as Christians. We do it because we're children of the King. I already read 2 Corinthians 8. I'm going back there because I can. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. The king became servant for us. The servant became our friend as we've already looked at. So that we can serve others. Though he was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, become rich. The God of ages stepped down from heaven to bear my sin. It's a long way from heaven to Calvary. <coughs> for you and for me. That is our model. That is our king. That is our savior. That is our friend who we follow with and who we walk. What will you do with the grace given to you? God so loved the world that he gave his only son. What do I think about the world? What am I called to give? Who am I called to love? Who am I called to serve? Who is suffering in a way that I can minister to? Who am I called to put before myself? Because that's God's desire in the healing of them. Philippians chapter 2. Those of you who heard me speak more than twice, Philippians chapter 2 is more than likely come across before. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affliction or sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind and having the same love and being in full accord in one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. Don't just serve them because it makes you feel good. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant 
being born in the likeness of men and having been found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Have this mind in you that is also in Christ Jesus. Jesus who loved us and gave himself for us. Jesus who sees us in our desperate, desperate need. Beyond our physical circumstances, beyond the environmental things pressing on us, beyond the things which really feel that they would weigh us down, he saw our real need. He saw our complete moral depravity and need for salvation and gave his very life for us. Have this mind that is also in Christ Jesus. As we come back to look once again at the cross, remember what he's done and stop and ask him how you can possibly show a fraction of that love to those around you. Because brothers and sisters, as children of the king, we need to live like that. And if you are not yet a part of the kingdom, trust me, the love that he poured out for you is phenomenal. It's huge and you need it. If you want to talk to any of us about it afterwards, please do. Christian life is not an easy life. It wasn't easy for Jesus. But it's oh so worth it that he will be glorified.